for that, Kobe. That's a great lead into today's message. You know, you, a lot of you guys know that we got a couple of new faces uh, with us this morning, and so I just I want to say this just for the sake of everybody knowing. Um, Kobe and I don't plan this. We don't. I mean, he knows where I'm going in the text. We're doing a book study, so it's not real hard to figure out if I've finished chapter four. We're going to chapter five, right? Everybody understands that. But um, you know, the Lord always speaks every week as to to where we're going to head. And this week we're going to talk about worship. So, man, what a a great lead-in for today. I do want to, as we're beginning, say a couple of things. Um, I want to say this from kind of from the, in the beginning because some people texted me yesterday and said, hey, who's going to church? And I wanted to say, well, I said at the end of the service last week, so apparently you didn't watch. I'm just kidding. It's just a little joke. Everybody chill out. We're okay. Um, so we're going to start next week. We're going to do reservations. Okay, so we're going to open it up to everybody. It'll be kind of be a first come, first serve kind of thing. Um, and so I'll put some details on Facebook about how that's going to work. But um, today I think we're, we're around 40 and we can have up to 60. So we still got some extra room. We are going to have to add some more chairs. We can still keep our, our six foot of distance and those kind of things. So that's coming. Uh, I also want to say that we're going to um, begin doing a hybrid version of life groups. We'll talk about that more at the end. So don't, don't uh, check out too early because we're going to talk about some details of that. All right, so a couple of things that, that I want to share. Um, it's just a good reminder for those of us that have been in this study, but also for the new people we have today. Um, we're going to, today you're going to hear me talk about the preacher a lot. And I want you to understand that that's not me weirdly referring to myself in the third person, because uh, that would be awkward. Um, in, in this book of Ecclesiastes, some people think it was written by Solomon. Some people think it was written by some of his sons. We don't really know. And so in the, in the passage, uh, in the book, it refers to the Kohelet. I know that I'll pronounce that incorrectly every time I try to say it. So I go the easy route and say the, either the preacher or the teacher. So understand that. Also, you're going to see in the text today, as we see a lot in the book uh, of Ecclesiastes, is this word that's translated as vanity, um, which is not a great translation. The actual Hebrew word is hevel, and it can mean upside down. It can mean um, uh, temporary. Uh, it also refers back to Abel, who is Cain's brother, um, if you remember, Abel was killed by his brother because his brother was jealous. And so it refers to the upside down nature of the world where, you know, Cain received the things that Abel should have received, which is a long life and lots of children, um, but he did not. But Cain, even though he was a murderer, did receive those things. So when you see that word today, vanity, I want you to just kind of remember that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you back to it, that what we're talking about is this word hevel, okay? Um, let's see, anything else I wanted to uh, mention before that? I do want to say this, for our members that have been listening recently, uh, I do want to mention this this morning. The last two weeks, you know, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we've talked specifically about what's going on in our world, about systemic racism and those kind of things. And I want to, this morning as we, we're going to talk about suffering some more, we're going to talk about suffering a lot through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want us to be aware that as we talk about those things, they definitely apply to what's going on in the world right now. But I don't want us to get tunnel visioned because there's a lot of other suffering that happens, Okay. All suffering is relevant, and it it's, needs to be addressed, right? And God wants to address those things. And so as we talk about suffering, we talk about oppression, I want us to remember that, um, that there's a lot of things going on in the world in our lives. But God has put specific people in our lives. So when we talk about walking with people through oppression and suffering, that includes the community that we live in, but it also means the people that we do life with, the people that we work with, the people that God has put in our lives for us to minister to. So that's a challenge for us. And it really, it further emphasizes the need for us to abide in Christ because we in and of ourselves can't fix all the problems of the world, right? But we can make a difference in the lives of the people that God's put in our lives. 
And the only way that happens, the only way we're able to narrow that down is by letting Christ do that work for us. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the message today. Okay? So, this morning you're going to see, we're going we're gonna to do Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. And I know I touched on verses 1 through 3 a little bit last week, but there wasn't enough time for us to really dig into some of the things that I felt like the Lord wanted to share with us. So we're going to look at verse 1 through 3 again this week. Um, and you're going to notice that there is a major shift in the tone in this book. Prior to this, in the first four uh, chapters... The preacher is kind of reflecting on his life, right? He is saying, these are the things that I've experienced, and here's some suggestions about how we're to do life. You're going to see today, as we move into these first seven verses of chapter 5, that there is a change in his tone that now it's not, hey, here's a suggestion, but it is very direct, and here are some things that we need to do and to be as a people of God. So today we're going to, we're going to read these, and I want you to, to recognize that, and then we'll discuss it. So let's begin with verse 1 in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. It says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near and listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing, uh, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty or utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. There's hevel. But God is the one you must fear. Do you see how straightforward he's being? He's being very direct in what he's trying to say. And for me, is, I think that you can't read this text and not wonder what he's saying. Um, you guys know Talitha. One of the things I love about Talitha is when you're having a conversation with her, you do not have to wonder what she's thinking. She will tell you. She's very direct. And I love that. I'm also married to a redhead and have three redheaded daughters. I know about directness. And I really like it. It's refreshing because you don't have to go, oh, God, are they mad at me? You will know if they are upset. Okay, so today we look at this and we see, we see the preacher being very direct. Keep in mind where we've been the last few chapters. Think about in chapter 3 about how it says that there is a time for everything. We talked about God's timing and how sometimes it th- seems like things are going way in the wrong direction, but the Lord is working. I love that affirmation in our song today that even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, the Lord's working. I, I shared this with some of you guys, but when Bethany went through cancer, man, that was one of my anthem songs. As we're going through that as a family, we've got a, a two-year-old and then four other older kids, and we're thinking, you know, and I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? That was my anthem, is that God, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, I know you're working. So we see that in chapter 3, that God is going to work in us, and he's going to call each of us as members of his body to do works at certain times. And then chapter 4, we discuss that, that evil exists in this world, right? We see it all around us. And part of our responsibility as the body of Christ, is to respond to that as the Lord leads us. And then the preacher follows that up with this section on fearing God. And I want to remind you that we've talked about this as we began this study, that when you see the Bible, specifically this book, talk about fearing God, that it's not just a standing before the Lord trembling, but that term really reflects that we need to be in right relationship with God. And that's what the preacher is, is pointing us towards today in these first seven verses. So the first point I want to make today 
we're going to move forward from here is um, our response to oppression and suffering in this world must start with personal worship. Our response to oppression and suffering in this world must start with personal worship. This is why I love the songs and the prayer of Kobe this morning. I didn't tell him this was our first point, but the Lord knew, and he spoke it through him as well. I want you to think about this week. There, there have been times in my life, and I'm sure there have been in yours, where your personal worship has had an effect on someone else's life. And I'm not talking about you were standing next to someone in worship, and their worship kind of bled off on you. That does happen. But times when you were alone with God and the Lord spoke, He did something in you and that affected someone else's life. I'd love for our life groups to talk about that this week. Because this world is heaven, because it's upside down, our authentic personal connection to the Father is the only way that this world's going to improve. There's famine, there's disease, there's poverty and death all over this world. If you've had an opportunity to travel to different parts of the world, you, you know that these things are found everywhere. That there's not just certain sections of the world that experience poverty and only other sections that, that experience disease. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Obviously, disease spreads everywhere, right? Geography, culture, age, gender, none of those things are immune to suffering. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, we all suffer in some way. But we know because of Scripture and personal experience with God that God desires that all people have full bellies. We know that God desires that we are well. God desires that we have the things we need to survive, but we're not in need. I want to I bring back a, a familiar passage today. It's Colossians 1.27. And I'm hesitant to share this, and I'll tell you why in just a minute, but let's read this together. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm hesitant to share that because I feel like Glenn and I have shared that passage a lot, right? And I don't, my, my hesitancy really is rooted in pride because I don't want you guys to be like, God, Will's such a one-trick pony. He knows like three verses and that's it. But I want you, I want you to look at this with me. Regardless of how I feel, the message that God has for us has not changed. It, it, for me, it can't be about my pride. It can't be about me thinking about what you think of me and how much I know or don't know. That's irrelevant. The gospel's always going to be the gospel, okay? God has a word for us. Look what Paul's saying here. We're going to look at verse 24 through 29 of Colossians chapter 1, and I want us to, to really plug our brains into this day. I want us to feel the sense of urgency that Paul has. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. You hear that? Paul says, he rejoices in his suffering for their sake. He says, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. I don't know if you've ever thought about that part of that verse, but I want to break this down for you. Paul is saying, Christ suffered. And in all the ways that he didn't suffer, I am now suffering. Okay, and we know that Christ suffered a lot. So Paul is saying, on top of what Christ suffered... I am willing to go through those things for the sake of my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the church. He says in verse 25, finishing out verse 24, it says, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So Paul is suffering so that the word may be known. Then he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, to which, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's experiences with God are what fueled his determination to make Christ known at all personal cost. You see, Paul had this experience with God that changed him. It changed what he believed about who God is. We know Paul's story, right? He was the greatest of all Jews. He was a rabbi. He knew more about God than anyone. And he's on the road, on the way to persecute believers of Jesus Christ. And the Lord stops him in his tracks. We're familiar with this story. And that moment where he came to a full understanding of who God was, but more importantly, who Jesus Christ was, in that moment, that moment of reverence, that moment of worship, changed him forever. And it changed him in such a way that he was now willing to do whatever it cost that others may also have that kind of experience. Listen, it's not just that Paul was good at what he did. It's not that God gave Paul some great talent to speak. It's that Paul had an experience with God. Paul now understood the truth. He understood God's love. He understood God's grace that was provided through Jesus. And he was willing to suffer anything so that others could also know love, joy, and peace, and grace. Listen, we don't choose to suffer for one another because there was a good sermon. We might for a moment, but that motivation is going to fade. We only suffer for one another when we are motivated by love. And love is God manifested. We are motivated just like Paul by encountering the Holy Spirit. Scripture is full of people. I love the Psalms. David is a great example of a man who knew God's heart. Listen to some of the words that he and other prophets said. In Psalm 5-7, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Psalm 95-6, Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 122-1, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Micah 4-2, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord of Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It becomes clear as we look at the testimony of these people from Scripture that God's desire for us is to be in relationship with him. We know this. But it's this relationship, it's these experiences that we have with God that bring us to our knees in worship. Point number two I want to make today is that God wants our hearts, not our best efforts. God wants our hearts. In every area of our life, we move forward, whether it's your job, your relationship, whatever. All of that, We do by working really hard, right? You want a promotion at work, what do you do? You do more than you've done before. You work hard, you get noticed. Listen, that logic doesn't work with God. That's not how He operates. We cannot work or negotiate our way into into a right relationship with God. Look again at Ecclesiastes 5, verses 2 through 5. 
The preacher says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. I think we often feel defeated in our walk with God and in in accomplishing what he's called us to do because we go about it in the wrong way. We can't approach ministry. We can't approach um, our relationship with God like we approach a job. All those things, you know, you don't get extra bonus points for working really hard for God. You don't get bonus points with God for working late. All those things are our attempts to appease God, and they never can. The goal that we're working towards is perfection, right? In order to be in God's presence, we have to be perfect like He is perfect. But we can't attain that. If we could, there'd been no reason for Jesus to come. When we try to achieve that level of perfection on our own, we're falling into a trap. And it's the same trap that Satan set for Adam and Eve. It's the same trap that Satan fell into his own self. It was his desire to be God that caused him to be cast from heaven, right? I don't think any of us approach our relationship with God with the goal of trying to be God. But when we depend on our own works instead of His, we're at the very least trying to add to what Christ did. We're saying, yes, it requires the cross and also something else. I want to remind us, I want us to look back briefly at Ecclesiastes 3 verses 14. Because the preacher says this, he said, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Do you see what the preacher is saying? He's saying God has done it. God did it. So that we would fear him. And remember, that means to have a right, right relationship with him. God did the work. Our feeble attempts at trying to be right with God by working for it is pointless. It's like, I was thinking about this last night, it would be like putting all your dirty dishes in the dishwasher, running it, and then taking them out and washing them again before you put them away. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. But when we try to take the cross and say, that's almost enough, but I need to work really hard too, we're doing the work twice. And we're saying to Christ, what you did wasn't good enough for me. i got to do more because I'm better than you. Right? We wouldn't say that, but that's the sentiment. When we, when we act outside of God's direction, we are trying to add to what He has already done. All we're doing is getting in the way. I was thinking about it this week. Um, if you have a toddler or if you have a niece or a nephew or a cousin that's a toddler, I don't know if you've ever tried to do a project of any kind whether it's cooking or working on something with a toddler in tow, it is difficult, okay? And here's why it's difficult. Toddlers are really well-meaning. They really want to help. I have a four-year-old. name's Charlie. She's incredibly bright. Loves to cook, okay? She watches cupcake cooking shows. I just, it's baffling, okay? And so anytime I or my wife go into the kitchen to cook, she wants to help, which is great. And her intention, her heart is so sweet. She really wants to help. But here's the problem. Toddlers are also in that phase where they are learning to be independent, right? And so how that translates is she wants to help, but she wants to do it her way. 
And she doesn't know the things that she needs to know. And she'll often say things like, hey, dad, we need to do blah, blah, blah. Isn't that a great idea? (laughs) Don't we do that with God? We say, hey, God, look, I know you've called me to do this, but how about we do it my way? Isn't that a great idea? God's going, you don't get it. God knows exactly what's going on in the world today, in our lives, in the lives of the people that he's put around us. He knows what needs to happen in order to improve our lives far better than we ever could. So why would we go around him and try to fix it ourselves? It doesn't make sense, but we do it. Rather than seeking direction or waiting on him to move, we go full toddler, we jump in there and we try to do it our way and we make a huge mess. And then we got to clean it up. The preacher's telling us that instead of going to God with lots of ideas, we need to go and we need to listen. We need to sit at his feet. We need to ask what we do and then listen to what he says. He spells it out for us in verse 3. He says, "For, uh, For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Look, it's worth noting here that the word dream is not talking about what happens at night when you sleep. It's, it's talking about those things that we do in our brain while we're awake. It's us making all these plans. You've heard the saying before, you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. It's true. God wants us, this is point number three, God wants us to live in an honest pursuit of Him, not the American dream. Now, I know that for some of you that may sound like, wait, whoa, where'd we just go? We talked about this a little bit last week and we're going to talk about it some more. Listen, in reading this passage... It's hard to not see that that the life that the preacher is describing is in complete opposition to what we know about who our culture says we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live life. We see the preacher pointing out two ways in which we try to manipulate God into doing or acting in a way that benefits us. Just like my daughter says, isn't that a great idea? We do the same thing to God. First, as he discussed, we offer sacrifices in the form of our works. We say, God, look at all this stuff. I've worked really hard for you. Aren't you happy with me now? And then the second is that we try to barter with God. We make promises to God in hopes that it will convince him to do what we're asking. Look, I'm going to be real honest with y'all. I am super guilty of this one, especially when I have a child that won't sleep through the night. God, I will do anything if you will make this baby sleep. But we do that in so many other areas of our lives. Okay, in newsflash, that tactic doesn't work with God. The babies never sleep. It may make it worse, in fact. I don't know. But look, in all seriousness, we do this. We promise God. We say, God, look, we'll do this, this, and this so that you can do this for me. Right? That's how we operate. And, and our, let me say this. Our attempts at bartering with God reveal that we aren't pursuing God because we love Him. We're treating Him like a genie. There's a great genie movie out there. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Aladdin. Cosmic powers. Eee, be living space. One of my favorites. Listen, this is a learned cultural behavior. It's something that our culture has taught us. We live in a world of contracts in which you do this, I do this, and then we both get this. But that's not the way God works. As a culture, we're always waiting for the better thing. How many times have you had someone tell you, yes, I'll do that, and then they drop you like a bag of hammers because they got a better offer, right? That happens. 
People do that. And it's, it's because we've been so desensitized by culture in the area of integrity. What culture continues to tell us over and over and over again is do what's right for you. Do what feels good. Make yourself feel better. One of my favorite shows of all time is Parks and Rec. Hopefully you guys have seen that. And there are two characters in there that are probably my favorite besides Ron Swanson. Uh, and that's Tom and Donna. Okay, And Tom and Donna have a phrase that they say once a year. They, do, they have this day. What is it? Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Okay, look, that's, th- this show is brilliantly, brilliantly pointing out that as an American culture, that's how we live life, right? We see a shiny new thing and we're like, I deserve that. I'm going to go get it. I'm guilty, y'all. I'm guilty. I like nice stuff. But that's a learned cultural behavior. What the preacher is revealing is that, that we can't serve ourselves and be in right relationship with God. Those two things are in opposition. Remember that commandment that we looked at last year when we studied the Exodus about having no other gods before Him? Right? When we're living for our own benefit, we're making ourselves a God. We're telling the world and God that what we want is more important than anything else. If God wants our hearts and he wants us to pursue us, that means one thing, and this is point number four for today. We cannot live for ourselves and the kingdom at the same time. We cannot live for ourselves and the kingdom at the same time. We talked last week about giving up the American dream. We see it again in our passage today, and this is not a new message. Will didn't come up with this because he's really clever. God's been trying to get man to understand this since sin first entered the world. Look, Jesus taught it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Again, we've heard this. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this so many times, but I want to put it in the context of what we're studying today. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. That's Jesus. We cannot pursue the American dream and a relationship with God. It won't work. You have to choose. We'll either obey the Father by living in obedience, or we will choose to follow our own desires for comfort and culture. I know that this flies in the face of what most religious people in the United States would believe. Right? If you just go out on the street and you ask somebody, are you a believer? And they say yes. And then you ask them about this. They'll go, no, no. It's pursuing the American dream, man. That's American and Christian. But is it? That's not what I see Jesus saying. I want you guys to really spend some time before the Lord on this idea. As I've said today and many times before, I don't want to be your motivation. I do not want to be your motivation. We talked about this earlier. Our motivation needs to begin with worship. I want to share um, an example from my life of what this looks like to give up on the American dream. Bethany and I, around 2008-ish, moved back from Rockwall, Texas. 
Glenn heard that we were in town. Some of you probably heard this story before, but Glenn heard we were in town and he asked Bethany and I to have lunch with him. My wife and I had done youth ministry together full time for a number of years. So we went and had lunch with him and Glenn at that time had just been asked to pastor a church um, and they needed youth pastors. So over lunch, he asked us to pray about that. But the catch was, and we told him we would, and then the catch was is that the church was broken. They didn't have any money to pay us, okay? Now for the previous decade, our income, both of us, had come from the church, full-time vocational ministry. So I told him I'd pray about it, but in my mind, I'm thinking, that's a big old no. Not interested, right? Because how am I going to earn a living? I picked up another job at the time, and so for the next few days, I, I did pray about it. I let it roll around in my brain. I talked to God about it. I called Bethany one day because I, I was convinced that God was telling us that we needed to take the job. It didn't make sense to me. It's like, you know, God, I, how do you do ministry and not be paid? I, don't, I just don't get it because every youth pastor I'd ever known worked that way. And so I called Bethany and she said, yeah, God's telling me exactly the same thing. I said, okay, I'm going to call Glenn. So I called Glenn and I shared with him what we were feeling and he just starts laughing at me. I'm like, bro, hold on a minute. This is a big deal for me. And he's laughing. I said, what is so funny about this? And he said, well, only a man can tell God he's going to work for free. You were right about that. Look, God put me in a place where I had to decide what was more important, my salary or the ministry that he called me to. And all of us are going to be in that place at some point. What's most important to you? Look, I'm not telling you this story to pat myself on the back. I want you to understand that there are going to be times in our lives where God is going to say, hey, that dream that you had, I need you to give that up because I've got something else planned for you. I've shared with you guys before, when I was a kid, my goal in life was to be an astronaut, okay? And, and if God would have allowed me to go down that path, I'm convinced that it would have been Will and Bob in that capsule and not Bob and Doug, okay? I'd be waving at y'all from the International Space Station. But God had other plans for me. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate that, okay? But listen, God was asking Bethany and I, I it sounds silly to, to even say this out loud now, but we had in our minds that we were going to be on staff at a mega church one day. We were convinced of it. But that's not what God had for us. And we had to give up that dream, which now it seems silly. But to be honest, it was a huge leap of faith for us. That was not an easy thing to do. It wasn't easy to say, God, this thing I've been working towards my entire life that I've been positioning myself for, to God to say, I don't worry about that. I got something else in mind. It wasn't easy. It didn't feel good. But I want you to understand that when God calls us to do something that's outside of our dreams, it's not going to be easy. Because all of the people in your life that love you dearly are going to say, what are you doing? You mean you went to college for four years to get a degree in this and now you're going to do something that's not even related to that? I'll just newsflash, most of the people I went to college do not work in the area of ministry in which they graduated. Just not the way the world works. But that's the way our brains work. We think I worked for this all my life, right? This is what I'm supposed to be, it's what I'm supposed to be doing. If we're going to be God's people, we have to be willing and ready to say yes to whatever He calls us to. If we're going to be the people of God who choose to suffer for the sake of others, it's going to require us putting everything that we do before the Lord and saying, God, I know I had these plans, 
but is that what you're asking me to do? And the only way that ever will happen is if we are regularly before the Lord, worshiping Him, having reverence and awe. Listen, we are God's love in a broken world, just like Paul described in the book of Colossians. Paul is in that passage is, is giving accolades to the church and saying, thank you for doing this with me. Church, this is, this is our call. Not to, not to be a church that's fancy. We're not. Not to be a church that has an incredible pastor. You don't have one. Our call is to be a people that are willing to say yes to whatever God asks us. We have to give up our right, quotation marks, to the American dream and surrender ourselves to the God who surrendered everything for us. This is our inheritance. Not whatever culture has to offer. Our inheritance as, as women and men and children of the kingdom. Our inheritance is the kingdom of God. Today's message was titled Suffering for the Kingdom because the kingdom of God is going to come one day. The Scripture is real clear that we're going to play a role in that by being obedient to the thing that God calls us to do. Whatever that may look like for you. Okay? By allowing God to work in us and reveal Himself to us, we're going to be motivated to love people in a way that they haven't experienced before. The fruit of that authentic relationship with God is going to be our hearts being made like Christ. We're going to have a lot of love. We're going to have a lot of suffering in our lives. But all of it's going to be good. All of it's going to be for a reason. And our motivation to suffer with and for others is going to be the love of the Father and nothing else. Let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful for the fact that, that you sent your son to, to come and to, to live and to suffer for our sake. God, it is my desire, not that we would just simply suffer for no reason, Father, but we would be so in love with you that we are willing to lay down our lives for the sake of one another and for the sake of the gospel. Not because somebody said we had to, but because we cannot help it. Because we're that in love with who you are and with the people that you've got in our lives. Father, this week as we spend time with you, Lord, I ask that you would bring us to places of worship that we've never been before. That you would show us more of who you are than we've ever seen. And Father, that we wouldn't be motivated by a desire to be somebody or to do something. But that our motivation would be you, our love for you, that we are reciprocating what we're feeling from you. Father, speak to our hearts today as we uh, join together in worship. God, show us the things that you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together.